Hey team, I'm Michael Eady, and welcome to the We Believe in Sports podcast, a series centered on the power of sports where we tell the stories of people who have been shaped by sports in every aspect of the game, from athletes, business leaders, coaches, and more. Join us as we dive deep into the heartbeat of sports to uncover what about the essence of the game makes us tick and find out why sports can change lives. Today, I'm joined by Martin Newton, the Director of Athletics at Sanford University. A 1983 Sanford graduate himself, he was a four-year letter winner in men's basketball and was an all-conference honorable mention selection in 1980. Following his graduation from Sanford, Martin worked in sports marketing for Converse for 13 years and spent an additional 13 years at Nike in a similar role. Prior to returning to his alma mater in March of 2011 as the Director of Athletics, Martin spent a few years as the Director of Basketball Operations at the University of Kentucky, where he managed the budget, fundraising, compliance, scheduling, marketing, and academic support for the men's basketball program. Today, Martin continues to transform Sanford into one of the Southern Conference's most successful programs by leading through the focuses of athletic achievement, academic success, facility enhancements, and dedicated corporate partnerships. Martin, welcome to the show. Man, you made me sound a lot better than I am. I, <laughs> on paper, I look pretty good, huh? That's the goal, right? <laughs> get get everybody's ego up, get them on the Absolutely. podcast, start asking them tough questions. Absolutely. But Now, I'm getting no tough questions today, but... I do want to start by talking a little bit about your childhood. You grew up in a sports family. Um, your dad was a very successful coach and athletic director. Talk about what it was like as a kid in that family. You know, it, it's it instilled in me at a very early age um, how much you have to be passionate about something. My dad was was obviously very passionate about sport. He was very passionate about basketball, and so uh, being able, being an only son, and being able to kind of be attached at his hip. Throughout his career, especially as a young as a young kid, I, I saw how you don't work for a job; you work for a passion. And and he was just so passionate about uh, his student athletes. He was so passionate about his players. You know, he was passionate about winning. He was passionate about competing. And so I think that was probably the biggest influence of me is that um, I wanted to make sure when I got older that I did something that I loved and and not something that I did just to make money. And uh, Again, he never he never talked about uh, contracts or salaries. He would have he would have worked for nothing. And back in those days, you actually did. He he went to the University of Alabama in 1968 from Transylvania University, and actually took a three thousand dollar pay cut. Went from fifteen thousand dollars a year with tenure as a faculty member to twelve thousand dollars a year. Wow! So you think about that today. You have coaches making twelve thousand dollars a day. So he did yeah. it for, for the love of the game and not for the money. So that's probably the biggest thing I learned in that household. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, we go through different phases as sports fans. And and when we work in sports, some of that shifts around. But I'd love to hear, do you have a greatest sports memory as a child, maybe before it became a business for you? You know, the, probably the greatest memory, I, I the one thing that I can remember the most is in, I think it was 19... 70, it was either 69 or 70, Pete Maravich came to Memorial Coliseum and put on an unbelievable show, scored 69 points. Uh, he was my childhood idol. I mm -hmm. thought Pete Maravich was the greatest player ever. I mean, he could, I used to do all the ball handling drills. and But it wasn't the game that I remember as much as after the game. I was a ball kid and I was sitting under the basket. And after the game, Pete came off the court right by my basket to the locker room. He was exhausted. Mm. And back in those days, you had the A-club, and all the freshman A-club members had to shave their head. Mm. So the football players, the freshman football players, were sitting over in the corner. Pete comes off the court, a photographer sitting right next to me, 
looks at him and goes, good game, high school boy. Good game for a high school boy. And Pete goes back to hit him. <laughs> and, and the guy named Apple Sanders on his team grabbed Pete and then turned around and hit this photographer right between the eyes. Wow. I've never seen a, a fight before. <laughs> and I mean, this I'm like two feet from it. This guy just nails him. This guy falls to the floor. Well, when this happens, all the A-club football players come rushing out on the court and they had a fight between the A-club football players and the, the LSU basketball players. And that that's probably my best memory growing up. Now, there were some other good ones going to sure. Madison Square Garden and watching Walt Frazier and the Celtics play. Uh, but that was the one that I can – I mean, it's almost like I'm still there. I can see that guy getting hit in the nose. And, no doubt. Uh, it, was, it was a neat – it was an I won't say a neat experience, but it was an interesting experience. Yeah, memorable for sure. Memorable, yes. No doubt. Well, I'm going to list a few things about your dad because I want to talk about that and, and maybe how that shaped you into the career, but in the career that you've had now. But your dad played for Kentucky coach Adolph Rupp, worked for Alabama's Paul Bear Bryant. He helped select the legendary 1992 Olympic men's basketball dream team, won a national championship as a college basketball player and two more as an athletic director, chaired the NCAA men's basketball tournament selection committee, he also served as president of USA Basketball, elected in 2000 to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Those are all wonderful accomplishments. But the real significance of his career was providing athletic opportunities for African Americans in the South. And I want to spend a little time talking about that. But throughout his career, he made unprecedented moves related to race. And at the time, these moves were often seen as controversial. One of the first things he did was recruiting the first black player to the University of Alabama. We recently interviewed Wendell Hudson. I had a great interview with him. Talked a lot about your dad. Uh, he also fielded the Southeastern Conference first all-black starting lineup. And he hired the first black coach at the University of Kentucky. A lot of accomplishments, you know, that sometimes don't show up in the record books. But it's a very important narrative to talk about. Growing up and, and all this stuff's going on, and this is your dad, how aware were you when all these things were going on and how significant they were? Well, first of all, you talked about building my ego up, and then you just spouted off that resume, so you just literally tore my ego down in a matter <laughs> of seconds. But that, that's no, You know, interestingly enough, my dad, and I can credit this to my mom more than my dad, he never brought his work home. If he won or lost a game, you would never know when he came home after the game. And part mm -hmm. of that was because of my mom. She said, look, that's your job, but you're a husband and you're a mm -hmm. father. So he never brought his work home. I, I was probably aware, especially as it related to Wendell Hudson and signing the first black African or first black athlete at Alabama. And there's a lot of revisionist history that's gone into that. They talk about the USC game at Legion Field. Now, the reason that all those other Wilbur Jackson and some of those other guys came to Alabama was because Wendell Hudson was the right first black athlete there mm. because of his experience. And so I remember when that happened and then he started playing black, uh, more black athletes, we had a cross burned in our yard. And this is mm. Tuscaloosa, Alabama in the, in the early seventies. And so I, I became aware of that then because it was like, I didn't understand it. And so he had to sit down and explain to us, kind of what was going on. Um, but we did, a, we did a thing called the SEC Story. I had a good friend mm -hmm. of mine that was with ESPN, and we'd been talking about it for, for years, and unfortunately they couldn't do it until he got sick, called Courage Matters, talking about my dad. And it was interesting going back through that, that process and looking at some of the stuff, and you go, he was like Forrest Gump. 
I mean, he was he was always at the right place at the mm. right time. I mean, some of the things that you mentioned, um, you know, the national championship with Adolph Rupp and then doing it again as an athletics director. But having, you know, being there at the University of Alabama just years after, not many years after George Wallace stood in the schoolhouse door and yep. signing the first black athlete in Wendell Hudson, who's my big brother. We joke about it all the time. And then and then. Being around for the Olympics uh, and and being the the head of USA Basketball when they chose to go with the Dream Team, um, being the chair of the NCAA Rules Committee when they put in the shot clock in the three point line, which has changed the game of college basketball. So he was just kind of always in the right place at the right time. But I would argue that he just was a visionary, and that again I go back to what I said earlier. He was so passionate about the game that a lot of those things were just things that d- were derivatives of of the passion and the love that he had for the game and for people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, during the interview with Wendell, he, you know, a lot of times you hear in recruiting kids picking schools or picking coaches or the different factors that weigh into where a high school kid will choose to continue his athletic career in college. We asked Wendell very directly, did you choose Alabama because of the school or did you choose Alabama because of the coach? And he was very quick to respond. Well, I chose Alabama because of the coach. Um, and he spoke specifically about the vision ultimately that your dad had for the role Wendell would play. Um, and, you know, we asked Wendell too, was he aware? Was he aware of the significance? And a lot of times, you know, he, I, I think for the most part, he wasn't completely aware. Um, it's hard maybe in that moment. And obviously looking back historically now, you see just how big of a deal that was. Yeah. And we talked about recently. You know, Wendell having his his jersey retired, the only student athlete at the University of Alabama to ever have their jersey retired. A basketball Um, player. Yeah, a basketball player. Correct. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You put that in context Mm -hmm. of, you know, it being labeled the football school and the success that they've had there. They've had success all over the place. Um, But, yeah, it's a basketball player. What a what a significant accomplishment. Um, Tell us something about your dad that maybe the audience doesn't know. Oh, wow. That's a tough one um, because he was, you know, he lived a public life. Everything mm-hmm. he did was, uh, you know, I think the um, <laughs> first of all, I, I think the thing that for me and I think my sisters would attest to this as well. He was a great dad. And that was the most important role for him. It, it, it wasn't about, um, you know, it, he used to get grief because my my uh, the, the kids called him coach and people thought, God, what an ego guy making mm-hmm. his grandkids call him coach. And it's just what everybody called him. Sure. But he was a really good dad. His ego was not in what he did as, as professionally. That that was secondary to him. His primary uh, job was to be a father mm-hmm. and a husband. And he was a damn good one at both. And, and, and that's the thing that that regardless of what success, how much money you make, what your title is that I learned from him. It's really, if you, if you haven't been a good father and a husband, uh, then none of that other stuff really matters. Um, and so that's probably the main thing from a professional standpoint, what I'm, I'm, I learned from him and I'm most proud of about him is, is how he treated everybody the same. And you think about all we've got Mm -hmm. going on in this country right now with, with, with the racial injustice. And I can truly say that my dad saw color. I mean, look, we sure. all do. Anybody Absolutely. that tells you they don't, they're not being right. honest. No doubt. But he he truly looked at the character and the content of the person. And that was it was true in recruiting Wendell Hudson or Leon Douglas or T.R. Dunn. Um, he was more I never heard him once reference and say, man, I've got this really good black shooting guard 
that I'm recruiting, or I've got this really good white center. It was always, I got this really good shooting guard that we're recruiting, or there's this center that can really play. And so race was just, you know, the color of your skin was just not an issue in our family. And it wasn't an issue. It was not ever talked about. It was truly about the content of people's characters. And, and, you know, that's, it sounds cliche as I know that's what Martin Luther King talked about, but it's so true. And that's what I think my dad treated everybody the same. And it didn't matter. You know, there's an old saying, and he used to say this all the time. There's two types of people in this world. There's those people that climb the ladder of success and they reach back and they pull the ladder up behind them. And then there's the other type of people that pull, climb that ladder of success and they reach back and pull people up with them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how he lived his life. And it didn't matter if you were black, white, if you were a school bus driver or if you were the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you, he was going to judge you on your content and your character and treat you the same. Yeah. Um, speaking to the, the context of him being a great father and a great husband and a great family man, I can just say from the outside, developing a friendship with you over the last several years and seeing the impact that he's had on you, that's very evident. And I think it's one thing for somebody to say it. It's another for people to see the evidence of it and his fingerprints are all over you and your career. And we're about to talk about some of the things that you've accomplished at Sanford and even the, some of the things that you accomplished at Nike. But I, I talked about your bio at the beginning. I alluded to time at Nike or time at Converse, time at Nike, time at Kentucky, and now on to Sanford. Give us a quick, you know, 60 second, this is your career path and how you ended up at Sanford. Okay. Um, well, it's, it's, it, it's, I couldn't tell you, to be honest with you. I do know this. When I was young, I did a commercial for Converse. I mentioned Pete Maravich. I I was really good at ball handling drills. And so I did a commercial for Converse. And back then, they couldn't pay me because they didn't want to ruin my amateur status. Like I was going to, you know, five foot, there's a lot of five foot 11 slow white guys in the NBA. (laughs) So, so they paid me in shoes. So I took now, I kind of merged my passion for basketball and my passion for shoes and so I'd get these shoes and I just, I fell in love with shoes. So when I was ready to um, make a decision career-wise, what I was going to do, I always thought I wanted to be a coach. And and my dad, I sat down with him and he was brutally honest with me. He said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, the business that I started, he said, I started out as a teacher, not a coach. He said, now it's become about coaching and it's become about money. And this was 1982, 83. He said, I'm not going to tell you not to coach. I, I want you to do what you're passionate about. But it's a different business now. And so Mm. it got me starting to think about, okay, well, what else is there that I would like to do? Well, I love shoes. Well, I get a call from Joe Dean uh, Sr., not junior, but Joe Dean Sr., and he offered me a job with Converse. And um, it it just – it was perfect for me because it kept me around the game, and I got to be involved with the game. I was the sales and promotions guy in the state of North Carolina. And so I got to be around the game, but I didn't have to be – recruiting and doing all those things that had gotten so difficult for my dad. Um, But then it also, I got to do what I love to do with the shoes. And then that just, that led from doing that to getting promoted there to being the, the manager for all of our sports marketing reps around the country. And, uh, and then that ended up leading to an opportunity with Nike to uh, my first job with Nike was I did uh, uh, Nike used to be with champion for all their apparel. And we got to come in and, and do we had like 10 teams, the Bulls, the Lakers, we had the good teams. And, mm-hmm. and so Nike outfitted those teams and we really changed the way that the NBA did their uniforms. And so um, and then that transitioned into, into college basketball, sports marketing with Nike, which, again, it's I go back to what I said earlier. It's marrying those two passions, the passion sure. for, for basketball and the passion for, for footwear. And it's just uh, it's been a storied career. It's been fun, man. I've had a, I've never felt like I had a job. 
Then I went to work for Cal. I started helping athletic directors hire coaches. And one of those was Mitch Barnhart, Kentucky. Asked me if I'd help him after the Billy Gillespie uh, uh, fiasco. And and I just kept saying, Cal's, Cal's the guy. Cal's the guy. And so we finally ended up, it worked out. We got Cal the job at Kentucky. And in that process, he said, you know, you got a pretty good feel. Why don't you come be on my staff? And he said, I'll do the basketball and you run the business side. And and about a year and a half into that, I get a call from my alma mater. And I just remember what my dad, I called my dad, actually. I said, what do you think? He said, you'd be an idiot not to take it. <laughs> and here I, forward. here I am nine years later and had I've, I've absolutely had the best nine years of my career. Yeah. It's just it's been so much. It's been challenging. It's hard. We don't have the resources. I, look. What I had at Kentucky for basketball compared to what we have at Sanford for our entire athletic department. Sure. It's a little different. <laughs> Budget's a little bit better at Kentucky basketball. But it, it's just been so rewarding because of the relationship with the student athletes and the people on campus. Yeah. you Because of the – I think it's interesting when I think about your career and I think about the modern-day athletic director. So there's been somewhat of a shift maybe over the last 10 years or so to get athletic directors with development and business backgrounds to run athletic departments. It used to be a lot of times coaches would transition, your dad would transition from being a coach to being an administrator to being an athletic director. And you still see some of that, but it's unique because you grew up in that environment. Your father was a coach. Your father was an administrator. You saw the ins and outs of the the business side of how to run an athletic department. You started your career in business within sports, and now you've kind of shifted over into an athletic director role, but you kind of have a lot of that history of your dad and seeing the things that you learned from an administration standpoint and the business side, which we're about to talk about some of those things at Sanford and maybe talking about how some of those things applied and set you up for success. But I do want to read a couple of things, some statistics related to Sanford athletics. So on the field in the court, the Bulldogs have captured 44 SOCON regular season and tournament championships during your tender, including a school record eight titles in 2019 and 20, which was shortened, obviously, by COVID-19. So quite an accomplishment. But not only that, over 1,300 Bulldogs have been named to the SOCON Academic Honor Roll. So how does that translate? Your student-athletes posted an impressive 97% in the recent NCAA graduation success rate report. That ranks you number one in the state of Alabama and 18th nationally among all Division I institutions. So speak a little bit about how you've been able to focus on accomplishments on the field and on the court but also the balance of academics as well, especially at an institution like Sanford? Well, I think the biggest thing is it starts with the leadership with Dr. Westmoreland. And and he makes no bones about it that he wants to have competitive uh, Division One sports, um, but it's not going to come at the, the – uh, expense of sacrificing academics and our, our student athletes uh, they there are no special classes there's no uh, uh, they 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 have to go through the same rigors that our regular students do from an acceptance stand uh, from an admittance standpoint and everything else so I think it starts with him and his vision and then I, I think we've got really good coaches that understand uh, the mission of Sanford you know we make no bones about it we are a private Christian university um, and and I think our coaches have all bought into that culture. They've also bought into the. They're also very competitive. They all sure. they all want to win. You know, Casey done well. You yep. mentioned the eight championships and 
And Casey will tell you those were the championships just in the fall sports that if we'd have played spring, he'd have brought two more back to you in baseball. Right. So we, <laughs> we, we felt like we were going to have we we felt I felt like we were going to have at least twelve championships last year. Yeah. Uh, it had it not been shut by COVID. But uh, again, I just think it goes back to the people. We have people that really understand um, that the main thing is the main thing, and the main thing is is one that we to provide a, a, a Christian education. And number two is that we're to do so uh, with trying to compete and play the very hardest we can uh, at everything we do to win championships. But it does not come at the sacrifice of the education. And it's a challenge, man. I, I, you know, I tell you, you get there's times when you 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 get envious and you see what other schools are doing and you go, man, I, I wish we could do that. And and you just have to stay you, you have to stay grounded in that mission of the university and what what the main priority is. And And again, it's. I love my time at Kentucky. It was fun. We we were playing for national championships there. Every year that was the expectation. A little bit different here, but again, I wouldn't trade the time because I really do feel like we have an opportunity to change. And I think kids today, the most formidable time in their life is that 18 to 21-year-old period where Absolutely. they go to college, they're on their own, and we literally have an opportunity to really impact their lives for the better. And uh, and and also they have an opportunity to impact our lives and change. I, I, my thought process on things have changed so much from just being around our 18 to 21 year old, 22 year old kids. They're not kids anymore, young adults. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, again, it's 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 all about the people and it's all about the vision from the top with Dr. Westmoreland. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other accomplishments, including like development and fundraising. So you guys have a new softball stadium. Uh, and the J.T. Haywood Fieldhouse. You have a state-of-the-art indoor hitting facility for the baseball team uh, and softball team that was completed in the spring of 2013. And phase one of the Cyber Stadium project was completed last year and was 100% donor-funded. Uh, you, along with several others at Sanford, uh, have grown your donor organization, the Bulldog Club, into a large piece of Sanford. Talk about the process of that and how the community in Birmingham has helped take on some of that role. Uh, and it's ultimately helped elevate Sanford sports to another level. Yeah, you know, uh, Michael, people will support people, right? And and I, I don't want to sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but it's all about relationships. And uh, we we were able, Bo Kerr, who we hired, who has done a tremendous job, we brought him in as, as doing corporate sponsorships, and he immediately grew our corporate sponsorships that were very little when we got there. And he did it through relationships. I, I don't think the corporations are necessarily – giving us money and being a sponsor just because they want signage in our stadium or in our arena. I think they're doing it because of a relationship and because they see what we're trying to do at Sanford Athletics with our student athletes. We're putting out really good people back into this community and the business community. You've hired a few of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I think it starts with those relationships. And and, and again, Bo's done a tremendous job. We've got other people on our staff, again, that it it becomes more of a, a philanthropic uh, support than it does just a, a transactional support. Sure. And, and look, coming to our games are fun. They're quality uh, student athletes. They're they're exciting. Um, but it's not just about that. It's about more than that. It's about supporting uh, the mission of the university and just supporting what what we're all about. We, the Bulldog Club, has been again phenomenal. I mean, here we are sitting in a situation with COVID, where we haven't had student athletes on campus since last March, and yet we're seeing our Bulldog Club donations growing. And, mm-hmm. and people giving almost doubling what they were giving last year because they understand some of the challenges that we have right now in athletics. So it's it's just uh, it's been a, an amazing thing to watch. But it all goes back again to people. Yeah, uh, people will support people. And if you get out and build relationships and 
and, and let people know what your vision is and let people know what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it. Um, and, and you build authentic relationships. I think it, that's that's the key. For sure. So a few more you few more accomplishments. The, the inaugural class of Sanford Athletics Hall of Fame was inducted in 2017. I thought that was a really nice touch. You guys have done some things around the facilities and stuff to to honor those folks. You negotiated an exclusive university-wide footwear and apparel deal with Nike. I'm sure you tapped into some old relationships there to get that done. Trans, transform the antiquated radio network into an industry leader in campus-led broadcast production with all Sanford home athletic events. I see a lot of that in our world. We're obviously yeah. right down the road from you guys, and we've I've kind of been able to watch the evolution of that. So all this success that we've discussed at Sanford, both professional and some personal, what what are you most proud of? Probably that graduation rate. I think the fact that our student athletes aren't just coming to Sanford to play a sport, but they're actually coming to Sanford. They're getting to play their sport. They're excelling at their sport, but they're graduating. And and then, you know, the number of student athletes that I hear back from that go, hey, Mr. Newton, is there any way you can reach out and uh, this is my major, but I'd really like to get involved in this field. Mm-hmm. Or hey, Miss Durbin or Bo Kerr, and the fact that people are so willing uh, to help them, and and um, I think those are probably the things I'm most proud of. When they call you and they go, "Hey, we just had our first baby," or "I'm getting married next weekend," mm-hmm. and just just to be able to watch them go from when they come on that campus as a as a 17, 18 year old kid who doesn't have a clue, sure. and they're away from <laughs> mom and dad for the first time. And to watch them those first three months just lose their mind, right? Yeah. They, they, woohoo! I got no responsibility. I can do whatever. And then all of a sudden, it kind of kicks in, and they get it. Okay, I've got to learn to balance mm-hmm. my time. I've got to learn to be able to study yet balance my academics and my athletics. And um, and then to watch them go off and be successful adults, man, that's that's to me is what it's all about. Yeah. The championships are great. We want to win. We're going to continue to win. But it's uh, it, it, I would tell you that if it wasn't for the academic side and the success they've had there, that, those would all be. Yeah. I mean, a Sanford degree in this market's a very valuable thing. Yeah. Um, very, very intelligent group of kids that are coming out of Sanford. So uh, you've accomplished a lot at Sanford. You talked about, you know, some of your greatest accomplishments. What's what's next for for Martin at Sanford? Wow. Any big dreams? You know, honestly, just to continue to to try to have an impact. I, I think one of the things that it, it just you just kind of look at what's going on in the world today, and it, it goes back to I, I, to 1969, 1970, when I was first aware of kind of some racial injustice. And I think if if I can leave my legacy on Sanford, it will be that within our athletics department, especially and within our university, is that we've really made strides in those areas, that we have really, we've cared, that we have listened, that we've tried to educate ourselves, that we've tried to make make it a very inclusive experience for all colors and, and, and people of all colors on our campus, and that, uh, uh, and that we really have made an impact and a difference there. And, and again, um, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to sure. be quick. Um, same thing with this country. We've got a lot of things that aren't going to happen overnight. But, man, if we will commit to to a long-term changing of hearts and changing of minds, uh, then we can get this done. And so when I'm when I'm out of here and I'm 59, hopefully they'll let me stick around another four, five, six years. If they do, uh, I would like to be able to look back and go, that's what they were able to change is that mm-hmm. that people of color came to this school and had a great experience. Yeah. Not a perfect experience, but a great experience. Sure. And that that's that's what I hope can we can do. Yeah. Talk about the importance of teams. We talk about all the time the power of sports and we're gonna get into, you know, a larger question about why sports is is so powerful, but just talk about teams and 
athletes and the power of being on the field and what it what it does for a student athlete, what it does for a coach, and what it does for the public and the public and fans that that are missing out on a lot of that right now. I, I've yet to meet anybody go through life to accomplish anything with great success on their own. No, I mean we could sit here and we could debate for hours, and I guarantee you, it'd be really hard to say, yeah, he did that or she did that all on their own. You have to have other people. I talked about that ladder. You have to have other people that help you get up that ladder. And so I think that's what's so important about teams is that you, you can't do things individually. Yeah, you mm. you may be in an individual sport, but you still got to have that team to win a championship. And I just think it's so important that the lessons that you learn from being on a team, the lessons, the, the discipline that you learn from being on a team, being told no uh, mm-hmm. is one of the hardest things for, for this generation to grasp. Mm-hmm. There's an entitlement sometimes that you just shake your head at. And that's what being on a team makes you realize is that you're going to be told no. And, yeah. and it's not all about you. And that's yeah. a hard thing for, for young people to grasp today is it's not all about you. Yeah. And so I, I just think, uh, uh, again, uh, that's that's why sports, that's why teams are just just so invaluable to society today. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the larger question, why do you? You know, sports has had such a huge impact on your life. It's basically been from birth until now. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a dad that worked in sports and somebody like yourself, whose entire career was encapsulated in sports, why do you believe in sports? Why is sports so powerful? You know, again, for me, it goes back to passion. It's just it was because that was what both my parents, my mom was a heck of an athlete. She was a diver at the University of Miami and great athlete. But it's just what I what I knew at an early age, and because I saw their passion in it, and and I, and again, if I chose to be a pianist or a, a trombone player, whatever it was, they would have embraced it. But I just think that's what I was around, and so I think sports, again, are so important because of the lessons that it teaches young people today about sacrificing and not just about yourself, getting mm-hmm. outside of yourself. And I think that's the hardest thing for kids today. And so, being on teams, being you know, I get a kick out of this not keeping score. Mm-hmm. And I think if we if we didn't want kids to keep score and know the score, then we wouldn't have taught them how to count. Because the reality of it is they know what the score is. And that's not a bad thing as long as it's kept in perspective. Sure. But I also see these parents that are going putting all their eggs in one basket and they're 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 my my son Johnny's going to be a professional baseball. Well the reality of it is and the numbers don't say that. So let's take all let's peel all that back and say the key about sports is being able to learn to socialize with other people, being able to learn to fail, mm-hmm. because that I promise you, you're going to fail in life a heck of a lot more times than you. You've started your own business. Yeah, I guarantee you've had as many failures Plenty. as you've had successes. Yeah. And three today already. There you go. <laughs> and that's what sports teaches us is how to fail, but to fail forward. And so, uh, again, I'm I'm just uh, it's it's part of my passion. It's what I've been around my whole life. And uh, if it weren't for sports, I wouldn't be sitting here today doing a podcast with mask on. Yeah, for sure. So a couple of last few questions. These are just softball questions. Do you you talked earlier about shoes and your love for shoes? Do you have a favorite shoe? Oh, man. Uh, you know, probably for me, it's the old Jack Purcell from Converse. And I, mm-hmm. can't, I can't you know, I couldn't say that when I was at Nike, but then Nike bought Converse. I yeah. love the old Jack Purcells. Yeah. Um, but I'm a big Air Force One fan. I, yeah. I, I love if if you ask me what I would wear every day, I'd want to wear the 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 fly knit Air Force Ones. Nice. Yeah. Favorite uh, athlete of all time? Ooh, that's a tough one. So I, football, it's Archie Manning. I was mm-hmm. a huge Archie Manning fan growing up. Um, basketball, it was Pete Maravich and Walt Frazier. 
Mm. I was kind of – I just thought Walt was so cool, and Pete was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Uh, baseball, it was Lou Brock. Yeah. So many people have a hard time answering that question, and you just reeled off one oh, on each, no, each was, major sport. Those, those, I mean, look, every you know how as a kid you go out in the yard and you play by yourself? Yeah. Well, when I was out in the yard, I was Archie Manning. You know, yeah. I had my, my, my Ole Miss hat on or I had my New Orleans Saints hat on. With baseball, I was always Lou Brock. I mean, that was, that was just a given. And then, you know, Pete and Walt were just – now, I will say this. My favorite person in sports is a guy named Wendell Hudson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's all-time – I just think he's probably the best person I've ever met in my life. Yeah, well – Other it, than my parents. It was a joy to interview him, and I can tell you that just – Throughout the process of the interview and the stories that I had heard in my entire life from people like yourself and and others, I mean, everything that everybody says about him is 100% true. First class. Just a genuine, genuine human being. So Great guy. Martin, thanks for being here today. We really appreciated having you. Well, I appreciate you doing what you're doing, man, and appreciate the friendship and and watching your business grow. It's been fun. And, uh, man, you guys just keep promoting sports. It's what it's all about. Well, I appreciate you. Thanks again, man. Thanks, guys. All right. Through this series, we'll be talking with some of the most powerful and impactful influencers in the industry. Join us as we explore how their work impacts sports, why sports are such a powerful platform, and how sports can shape our communities. See you next time.